We've been in this series titled In the Middle, and we've been talking about life in the middle. This morning, I'm going to kind of wrap this series up, and I want to talk to you about being stuck in the middle. Being stuck in the middle. All of us here in this room here today, we need to be reminded that we have been created in the image of God. Now, why is that important for us to be reminded today that we've been created in the image of God? Let me tell you why. It's because God is a God of movement. We discover that about him in the very first two verses of the Bible. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And then it says this in the last part of verse 2, and the Spirit of God was moving over the waters. So we see from the very two, first two verses of Scripture that God is a God of movement. God then began to create everything that is and commanded them to move. He created the sun, the moon, and the stars. He then created animals like the cheetah, and he told the cheetah, get to moving. God even had the audacity to create a turtle and tell that turtle, get to moving. Now, the turtle might have resisted a little bit and said, but God, I'm an introvert. I want to stay in my shell. I don't want to come out of my shell. And God says, well, you can't stay stagnant. You got to get moving. You don't have to move as fast as the cheetah, but you still got to get moving. And then God reaches into the dust of the earth and out of the dust of the earth, he creates man and he breathes into the nostrils of man the breath of life and man becomes a living, moving being. We find that when Jesus jumped off the portals of heaven and landed here on this earth, that he was all about moving. He was moving everywhere, healing people and delivering people and raising people from the dead. And then before he would ascend back to the right hand of the Father, he would look at his disciples and give them one final commission. And you know what that was? Go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Why? Because God is a God of movement. I mean, just look at two-thirds of God's name. Two-thirds of God's name is go. God is a God of movement. Once Jesus ascended back to the right hand of the Father and sat down, the Holy Ghost stood up and said, okay, now it's my turn. And he jumps off the portals of heaven and guess where he lands? He lands in an upper room in Jerusalem. And when they described the arrival of the Holy Spirit, they said it was like the sound of a mighty moving, mighty rushing wind. God is a God of movement. Even the earth that you and I live on right now. It is spinning at 1,000 miles per hour. And you and I don't even feel it, but it's moving. You know what that tells me? That tells me sometimes God's moving even when you don't feel it. And sometimes God is moving even when you don't see it. 
because God is a God of movement and everything that God has created, he has commanded it to move. That's why in Romans chapter one, verse 17, Bible tells us that we are to be growing from, from grace to grace. And the Bible tells us in Psalm chapter, thir- chapter 84, verse 7, that we are to be growing from strength to strength. And the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, that we are to go from glory to glory. And then the Bible tells us in Psalm chapter 37, verse 23, it says that the steps, not the steps, stuckness, but the steps of a righteous man or woman are ordered of the Lord. You see, God is a God of movement, and God has created you and I to be people on the move. Amen? People who are going from one place to another place. But we as human beings, we have a propensity to getting stuck. We really do. Some of you are stuck going to the same four restaurants. You say, well, that's all we got to choose from around here. Some of you are stuck going to the same four restaurants. Some of you are stuck sitting in the same seat or in the same section Every Sunday when you come into the house of the Lord, and God forbid that you come in here and somebody else is sitting in your seat. Oh, boy, you talk about an outbreak. We could have one real quick. We even have a propensity of getting stuck in relationships, and I'm not talking to married people right here, okay? There's some of you young men and women, you're stuck in the same relationship. Oh, she or he has a different name, but it's the same person over and over again. You're in this cycle and you're stuck in the middle. You're stuck in a moment of your life. And every one of us in this room here today, we have a propensity to getting stuck. And in John chapter five, and I want you to go there with me if you would this morning, to John chapter five, because in John chapter five, we find a man, and not just a man, But we actually find a group of people who are stuck. They're stuck in the middle. Actually, there's a lot of people that believe that this is more than just a story about a man, that this is a story about the nation of Israel, and that at this moment, the nation of Israel was stuck between the old and the new covenant. They were were stuck between law and grace. Look at the story with me today because I also believe that there is a picture of many here in this sanctuary today, especially it's a picture of those of us before we met the Lord Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. But there's also a picture here for many today who have already accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, but they're still stuck in a mess, still stuck in some circumstances and situations that you were never designed to be stuck in. Listen to me this morning. Because you and I have been created for movement, anytime something that was designed for movement gets stuck, guess what happens? We get frustrated. Anybody fly here? I don't fly much, and I don't like to fly that much. But I do have one rule when I fly. 
And that is when I fly, I want to try to get a non-stop flight. I want to be able to get from where I am to where I want to go without a connecting flight. But how many of you know there's just some places, this is the reality, that there's just some places that you cannot get to without a connecting flight. Jamie and I took a trip several years ago, a little Mediterranean cruise for her birthday. I won't say which one, but for her birthday. And on the way back, our travel agent had had booked our flight to where our connecting flights were like a minute and a half apart. You ever been there? Where you fly in, you have a connecting flight, and you arrive at gate A1, and your departing flight is at Z99. (laughs) And you've got about a minute and a half to get from gate A1 to gate Z99. And you really have three choices. Choice number one, miss the flight. That ain't going to happen to me. I'm not going to miss a flight. Secondly, you can call for one of those little golf cart looking machines. But how many of you know we can walk faster than those things travel? So really the third option and the best option is you get off of your plane and you run as fast as you can to get from gate A1 to gate Z99. Now I had not been in airports for a long time. And so going from Gate A1 to gate Z99, and here we are running as fast as we could when all of the sudden I saw something that reminded me of the favor of God. A moving walkway. (laughs) How many of you know what those moving walkways are? And let me tell you why those moving walkways remind me of the favor of God. Because they're designed to get you further, faster than you could go in and of yourself. Kind of reminds me of the favor, reminds me of the grace of God that is able to get us further, faster than we in our own strength and we in our own power and we with our own talents and gifts and abilities can get to. But here is this moving walkway that is designed for movement. But let me tell you what frustrated me on the moving walkway. Our people on the moving walkway that is designed to move who are just standing (laughs) on the moving walkway. And when you are in a place that is designed to move and you get stuck, you get frustrated. It's not enough that they're on the moving walkway just standing there, but they've got luggage the size of Texas that should have been checked at baggage claim, and they've got the whole moving walkway blocked. Now listen, it's not their standing that frustrates me. They could stand anywhere else in that airport, and I would be fine, but they're standing on the moving walkway. You know, that's what frustrates me about traffic on the interstate. Because the interstate is designed for things to what? Move. And when things are not moving on the interstate that was designed to move, I get frustrated. I don't mind telling you. If you want to know how close you are to Jesus, just get stuck 
in an Atlanta traffic jam sometimes. And you'll really know how far you've come in the sanctification process. But you see, that's what happens. We are designed by God for movement. And when we are stagnant, when we are stuck, we get frustrated. And when we get frustrated, we then begin to try every means possible to get us unstuck. And I believe that's where this man in John chapter 5 is. He's stuck, and the Bible tells us that he has been stuck for 38 years. And as a result of his stuckness and his frustration, he's now putting his trust and his hopes in things that he think can unstuck him or cause him to not be stuck any longer. But he has found himself frustrated because none of those things seem to be getting him out of his stuckness. Let's look at the story together this morning, beginning in John chapter 5, verse 1. It says that after this, that is after those things that happened in the first four chapters of John, after this there was a feast of the Jews and Jesus went to Jerusalem. This is probably either the feast of Passover or the feast of Pentecost. And Jesus still observed these feasts. And so Jesus goes to Jerusalem for the feast. But there in Jerusalem, by the sheep gate, a pool, or there, there, there is in Jerusalem, by the sheep gate, a pool, which is called in Hebrew, Bethesda, having five porches. Now that passage of scripture right there is full of spiritual truth. You've just got to dig for it. First of all, notice that it was a pool by the sheep gate. What is the sheep gate? The sheep gate is where folks would bring the sacrifices, the lambs, and whatever else that would be used in the temple sacrifices. This is where they would bring their sacrifices through this gate, and then those sacrifices would be thoroughly examined to see if they were fit to be used for sacrifices in the temple. You say, well, why is that significant? Well, on the day that Jesus made his triumphal entry into the city of Jerusalem, guess which gate Jesus entered through on Palm Sunday? He entered through the sheep gates because he would be the Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world. And when they would thoroughly examine him, they would find that he would be perfect and without spot and without sin in his life. And so it's at that sheep gate that there is a pool. And notice what the name of the pool is. It's Bethesda. Do you know what the, the, the word Bethesda means? It means the house of grace and mercy. Mm, boy, that'd make a good church name right there, wouldn't it? Bethesda. The house of grace and mercy. And notice here, it says that at this house of grace and mercy, there were five porches. Now, anytime the num the, the, a number is mentioned in Scripture, it's significant. And the number five is the number of grace in Scripture. The number five is the number of favor. So here we are in a place of grace and mercy. Here we are in a place of the favor of God. But notice the condition of the people. 
It says that in these five porches, there was a great multitude of sick people. Now, if you have a King James version of the Bible or a new King James, it says impotent. And that's a better translation of this word because these people were weak. These people were powerless to help themselves. That's also a picture of the nation of Israel at this time. They were still under the law and they were impotent. They were powerless to be able to keep the law. But this is also a picture of so many of us here today before we met Jesus. You remember what Romans chapter 5 verse 3 says, that before you and I met Christ, we were without strength. We didn't have the power to overcome temptation. We didn't have the power to resist the enemy. We did not have power to overcome lust in our lives. So this is not just a picture of this man, and this is not just a picture of the nation. This is a picture of so many people still today. But notice, he said there was a great multitude of sick people. Some of them were blind, and that was the nation of Israel. They were blind to their impotency. They were even blind to their bondage. When Jesus talked to them about their bondage, they said, we've never been in bondage. We're the children and, and the sons and daughters of Abraham. N never mind that at that moment they were in bondage to the nation of, of, of Rome, and that they had been in bondage to Babylon, and they had been in bondage to Assyria, and that they had been in bondage to Egypt, but they were blind to their bondage. They were blind to their sickness just like a lot of people today. The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, that Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the gospel of Jesus Christ, understand the gospel of Jesus Christ. So they were impotent, powerless. They were blind, and then it says they were lame, that they were crippled. They were unable to walk. And that also described the nation of Israel. And, and it, because they, they were powerless to walk in what the law had commanded them to walk in. And there's so many here this morning that are crippled, crippled by something, crippled by anger, crippled by bitterness, crippled by resentment. We could go on and on talking about what it is that continues to cripple people today. And then notice he said that they were paralyzed, that they were unable to move. No wonder they were frustrated because they were created, they were designed to move, but here they are paralyzed. And really it speaks about the paralyzation of hands so that they were unable to do the work of the Lord, just like a lot of people today. It, it's almost like they're, they're, they're withered and, and, and unable to do the work of the Lord. But then notice this, it says not only were they sick and impotent, and not only were they blind and lame and paralyzed, but they were waiting. What were they waiting on? Well, they were caught in the middle. They were between the law and grace. And so who are they waiting on? They're waiting on a Messiah. They're waiting on Jesus. They're waiting. And you know, there's a lot of people today that are stuck, slap dab in the middle of something. And you are in a waiting mode today. You're waiting to get unstuck. You're waiting to be delivered. You're waiting to be set free. And then notice what it says. They were waiting for what? The moving of the water. 
Now, if you don't have a King James Version or a new King James Version of the Bible, that sentence, as well as the next verse, verse 4, is not in your Bible. And let me tell you why. This was added by a scribe to share with us what the legend was, what the myth was, what a superstition of that time was. Now, when they found the later manuscripts, the ancient manuscripts, they discovered in the ancient manuscripts that this last sentence and verse 4 were not even in the ancient manuscripts. So the newer translations of the Bible today leave this out. But notice what it says. They were waiting for the moving of the water. And verse 4, that is not in many Bibles, says for an angel. And some of you have heard about this. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease they had. That was legend. That was superstition. But I want you to notice that these people, these, this group of people that was impotent and blind and lame and paralyzed and waiting were putting their hopes in magic. They were putting their hopes in legend. They were putting their hopes in superstition. Because nowhere do we have any evidence that anybody who got into the water, and really all it was, is that this, this pool was spring-fed, and at times when these springs would flow in, it would cause the water to begin to bubble, and so they thought that it was an angel that was coming down to stir up the waters, and many of them were putting their hopes into the water, into the superstition, into the magic. I'll tell you why that's important here in just a moment. But that's why that last sentence of verse 3 and all of verse 4 is not in the newer translations of the Bible because it was all about superstition. It's not that it really happened. It was just hearsay. But then notice what happens in verse 5. Now a certain man was there who had an infirmity for 30 years. Eight years. Now let me tell you what we're going to discover before we get to the end of this passage. His sickness is a result of his sin. Now not all sickness is a result of sin. You go to John chapter 9, and in John chapter 9, there's a young man that is born blind from birth. And so the disciples asked Jesus and said, well, Lord, who sinned, this man or this man's parents? And Jesus said, neither. He was born this way so that one day there could be a manifestation of the glory of God through his healing. But his sickness was not connected to his sin. But this man's sickness is somehow connected to his sin. We don't know if he was an alcoholic and maybe as a result of drinking too much, it had affected his physical body. We don't know if it's sexually transmitted diseases that this man is suffering from. We, we don't know, but we know that his Sickness is connected to his sin. But notice how long he had had this infirmity. He had had this infirmity for 38 years. Why is that significant? Because you go back 
From the time that God gave the law to the nation of Israel at Mount Sinai in the wilderness, from the time the people received and were under the law, do you know how many more years they wandered in the wilderness? 38 years. So there's a reason why when we are told specifically how long a man has had an infirmity, if you dig deep enough, you'll find out why. I believe again that this is a picture of being under something or putting your trust in something that cannot help you get unstuck. So a certain man was there who had an infirmity for 38 years. Now we get to the real heart of this passage. When Jesus saw him lying there, now look at this, for 38 years he's had this infirmity. We don't see anywhere where anybody has shown him any compassion, where anybody has shown him any mercy. He doesn't even have anybody to help him when the water stirred to get into the water. But you see, now comes grace. And now comes mercy in Jesus. And when Jesus saw him lying there and knew, you need to know something this morning, Jesus knows everything about you. Everything. You cannot hide anything from him. He knows everything about you. In every situation that you're in, not only does he know that you're in a situation, but he knows why you're in that situation. And notice it says that when Jesus saw him lying there, he knew that he already had been in that condition a long time. And he said to him, look at this question. This is so important. Do you want to be made well? Duh. I've been in this mess 38 years. The man could have thought. But you see, Jesus knew something about this man that he had become content in his stuckness. And he had become comfortable in his stuckness. Some of you that are stuck in the middle of something this morning and you've been looking for a way out, Jesus is asking you this same question Do you want to be made whole? Do you want to get unstuck? Now, before you say yes, you need to think about this. Before this man would say yes, he had to think, well, you know what? With, with, be, with, with, with me being made whole, with that is going to come some responsibility. Now, now that I'm whole and now that I'm healed and now that I'm well, I'm going to have to get a job. I'm going to have to make some money. Because I can't come here and expect people to just drop Coins in, in my hat or in my can. I can't expect that anymore because with him getting me unstuck is going to be, require some responsibility on my part. You see, that's why so many people are content and comfortable, even in their condition, even in their addictions. It's because they have become so content and comfortable and dependent on something that, that has medicated them for so long and they're more comfortable and content hanging on to what has medicated them than they are in trusting Jesus to help them get free from, from that addiction. Hold on, don't, don't clap yet because I'm coming after everybody this morning. Yeah. And you know, there's some people that need to think about this because there's some people who like the mileage they get out of 
their brokenness. And they love the mileage that they get out of them being unwell. Because when you talk to them, that's all they talk about. It's how unwell they are and how bad they feel and how broken they are. And if they were to be made whole, why, they wouldn't have anything to talk about anymore. Mm -hmm. But you know, when I go back and I look at the condition of these people, I don't just see individuals who are impotent and individuals who are blind and individuals who are lame and individuals who are paralyzed and individuals who are waiting. I see some marriages in that condition. And listen to me, I see some churches in that kind of condition. And so God is not just asking us as individuals today, do we want to get unstuck? What about your marriage that's been stuck for 38 years? What, what about the marriage that's been stuck? And he comes along and says, are you ready to get unstuck? What's your answer going to be to that? What about a church that has been stuck? Mm, come, somebody help me here this morning. Don't leave me all up here by myself. But what about a church? And, and, and the Lord comes along and asks us, do we want to stay in our stuckness or do we want to get unstuck? Because I believe that he's asking a lot of churches that question today. And, and I believe that one of the other reasons why people are comfortable and content to stay in their stuckness is because it's like somebody said to me many years ago when we were going through our transition there in Atlanta and we had moved out of our facility and for two years we were in transition. We were in schools before we moved into our permanent building. And through that transition, God began to move and God began to bless. And within a matter of a year, our church grew by over 500 people. And I had a person come to me one time and they said this to me, Pastor, I love all the progress that we're making. I just don't like all the changes and that's the reason why a lot of people want to stay stuck is because they know that with unstuckness comes change and really what Jesus is saying here is not so much do you want to be made whole he's saying are you ready to change because if we're not ready to change then we're not ready to move forward. And he looks at this man and he says, do you wanna be made well? I ask you this morning, do you wanna be made well? Do you wanna get unstuck personally? Do you wanna get unstuck in your marriage? Do we wanna get unstuck as a church or as a nation or whatever it may be? If so, it's going to require that we are ready to do some things that we've never done before if we're gonna get somewhere that we've never ever been. Oh, somebody ought to help me preach this this morning. It's true whether we believe it or not. Amen. Think about it. Think about it. Do you really want? Because with it comes responsibility. Pastor, I want to lose weight. Well, then you're going to have to change some things in your life. You're going to have to do some exercising. You're going to have to eat differently. That's why people are content and comfortable to stay where they are because they don't want to make the changes, right? 
I want my marriage to get better, but I want to be able to keep doing the same old, same old that we've been doing for the last 38 years. No, it's not going to happen until you're ready to make some changes. Well, I'm good with the progress. I just don't like all the changes. There can't be progress without change. And that's what the Lord is saying to us this morning. Are you ready to change? And, 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 and many times when we answer the Lord a question like that, we do just like this guy because he doesn't give Jesus a simple yes or no. He, he, he gives excuses. Because listen to what he says. The sick man answered him and said, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, but while I'm coming, another one steps before me. Three excuses. Still hear them today. Number one, I can't get nobody to help me. Nobody. No man. Putting your trust in man. Putting your hopes in man. And then notice his hope was also in the pool, in the water. He had fallen for the legend. He had fallen for the superstition, for the magic. That's why some people will never get unstuck is because they're still waiting on the magic. There's got to just be one pill I can take that will change everything. Surely God knows my heart that if he'll let me win the lottery, I'll do this. and I'll do. It's easy to spend money you ain't got, isn't it? See, we're still looking for the shortcut. And he put his hope, he put his trust in man, he put his hope and his trust in magic and superstition, but then also he was putting hope and trust in himself. And he realized, I don't have the strength, I don't have what it takes to get myself out of this position that I'm stuck in. But grace and mercy has arrived. Did you know that up until this moment, nowhere does it say anything about this man's faith? Nowhere does it say anything about he even knew who Jesus was. And we're going to find out in a couple of verses here that he did not know who was talking to him. That he was in the presence of grace and mercy and did not even recognize where he was. But notice what Jesus does. Jesus looked at him and he said three things to him that he says to us this morning and, and help me close this thing out or I'll be here all day. <coughs> Jesus looks at him and he says, first of all, get up. Rise. You've been stuck too long. And some of you need to know when you hear the Lord say rise, that with that will come the strength and the power that you need to rise. He's not going to tell you to rise and then not give you the power and the strength that you need to rise and to get up. Some of you have been stuck too long. Some marriages have been stuck too long. Some churches have been stuck too long. And the Holy Ghost is saying to us today, get up, rise. And then notice what he says next. He said, take up your bed. That thing that made him comfortable, his comfort zone. 
where he spent most of his life laying on that mat, Jesus told him, pick it up, roll it up, leave no provision for relapse. Mm-mm. Leave no, leave no open door to go back. Burn your bridges. This is like somebody telling you that if you want to be, if you're truly honest about wanting to change, go home today and pour out all your alcohol. Go home today and flush all the drugs down the toilet. Some of you young men and women today, there are some relationships in your life that need to be severed that you don't need to go back to. You don't need to be mean and you don't need to be rude, but you need to stop connecting yourself to folks who are dragging you down and pulling you down and you need to surround yourself. Burn the bridges. Rise. Take up your bed and move forward. Walk. And can I tell you that the same Jesus that'll give you the power to rise is the same Jesus that'll give you the power to walk this change out every single day of your life. If you will stay focused on him, if you'll stay connected to him, not only will he set you free, he will cause you to stay free the rest of your life. Oh, somebody ought to hear the voice of the Lord today. Rise, take up your bed. Get to stepping. You've been stuck too long. It's time to move forward. Oh, come on, give the Lord a good praise in this house. Just stand, stay with me. Stand right there. Don't sit down, stand right there. But let me tell you something. When you decide that you've been stuck long enough, and you've decided that Only Jesus can get you out of your stuckness. Listen to me. When not not everybody is gonna be happy about the change that's taken place in your life. And and do you know, do you know who will give you the most trouble about it? Religious people. Because they don't care about your miracle. All they care about is you doing something I ain't never seen done before. You doing something that's against our tradition. Because notice what it says, that day was the Sabbath. And the Jews therefore said to him who was cured, it is the Sabbath, it's not lawful for you to be carrying your bed. They were more concerned about their tradition. They said not a word about the miracle in this man's life. And he answered them and he said, he who made me well said to me, hey, take up your bed and walk. So I just did what he told me to do. Then they asked him, who is the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? Now look at this, this is, this is crazy. But the one who was healed did not know who it was. Still didn't know who who had healed him. For Jesus had withdrawn because there was such a multitude there. 
And then in verse 14, it says, Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See? Now, why was he in the temple? Let me tell you why. He was offering thanks. Because that's what you were to do after you had experienced a miracle is take an, an offering of thanksgiving to the temple. And so he's in the temple and he's offering his sacrifice of thanksgiving. And Jesus finds him in the temple. And he says to him, see, you have been made well. Sin no more. Because that's what caused this infirmity in the first place. And he said, sin no more, because if you do, even a worse thing can come on you. And after he had that encounter, now notice, Jesus just speaks truth to him. Son, if you're going to stay healed, if you're going to stay out of that place that had you stuck, stop what puts you there to begin with. Did anybody just hear what I just said? We had folks come up here last week, walk through the water. It was a beautiful thing. But you know what? If you're not careful, you can walk through that water and go right back to the wilderness. Right back where you were stuck. He said, sin no more, lest a worse thing come on you. But then notice what he says in verse 15. The man departed and went to the Jews and said, it was Jesus who made me well. And you need to understand this morning that if you're stuck personally, if you're stuck in your marriage, if you're stuck in, a fa- in, in, in your family, if you're stuck in a relationship, if we're stuck as a church, listen, the only one who can help us get unstuck is Jesus. It's not man, it's not magic, it's not you. It's Jesus and Jesus only. I want you to lift up your hands and I want you to cry out to Jesus right now.